Hey, Ted, what do you want to do today? Well, Ashley, I've always got uh, work to do, naps to take, but I have a better idea. How about we invite everyone to listen to the Team Us podcast? I love that idea. Let's do it right now. Hi, everyone. We're Ted and Ashley Slater, and we'd love for you to join us as we talk about teamwork in marriage. We share how grace, commitment, and cooperation can help couples live the everyday moments of marriage together. To listen, go to lifeaudio.com and search for Team Us. If you're hearing this right now, you're probably like, who the heck is this and why are they playing during my favorite podcast? And I get it. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I do want to introduce myself. My name is Trevor Tyson, and I'm the host of Trevor Talks, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. I just want to invite you, if you love podcasts, if you love music, if you love books and love hearing from the people who create it, come check us out at Trevor Talks. Simply go to Google or Life Audio, type in Trevor Talks, and it'll pop on up. Hope you have a great day. Hello, and welcome to the Hearn Hip Podcast. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what you get is a podcast. So, how you doing over there? Doing all right. I'm actually staring at a There is a fly flying around <laughs> the recording room of the Hearn yes. Hip World Headquarters right now. I love how you always call it World Headquarters. Like, we're so fancy. We are. Yeah, but we're so fancy that we have pillows surrounding us. Hey, this to is keep like the sound out. World class sound insulation right here yeah see we don't need to spend any money we're good (laughs) this is what you call like inland empire sound insulation right here hey i grew up in inland empire you watch what you say about inland empire i know you grew up and that explains why we have pillows in our windows right now okay all right but anywho you and i we met a long time ago did we a place called talbot and we spent a lot of time there are you going to say what talbot is talbot is a school of theology at Biola University. Yes. And so we both have degrees from there that took us a very long time to achieve. Lots of time, lots of money, dark circles under my eyes I owe to Talbot. Yeah, so we've done classes on theology, classes on hermeneutics, which means the study of scripture, on biblical languages. You might say that we have a fondness for the Bible. You might say that, yeah, or we're just crazy. Yeah, and what's crazy about having been at Talbot for five years and having done all these courses is that uh, after that experience, we still have barely touched the surface of what there is to know about the Bible. I would say leaving Talbot, it made me realize I know a whole lot less than I thought I did going into Talbot. And I think that's pretty common of people who study scripture, like a lot of people say the same thing. The more you dive into it and the deeper you go, the more you realize you don't actually know anything at all. <laughs> yeah. Martin Luther had this idea that he called the perspicuity of Scripture, which means that the Bible is clear in its message, which I always thought it was ironic that he used a word like perspicuity to describe the clarity of the Bible and that perspicuity is an obscure word. But it was 500 years ago in Germany, so I guess we can cut him some slack. Sounds like a word you would have used. (laughs) Right. But the idea (laughs) is that, you know, pretty much anyone who is a follower of Jesus and has a Bible can pick it up and generally get the message. And that's true, uh, but we also do need a lot of help because there is so much depth in there that is going to take us a long time to grasp. And I really think that was part of God's plan. 
is it's simple enough to understand it in its message of salvation, in its message of Jesus coming to save humanity, but it's also complex and something that you can mine through your entire life. Yeah, so it's definitely this lifelong journey of understanding what's going on. And so as part of that, what we want to do today, and I'm actually looking forward to this because it was a lot of fun to look at and research, we want to look at five Bible passages that many of us get wrong pretty often. Uh, But really what we want to do is that by pointing out some key passages that are often gotten wrong, that in doing that, what we'll do is we'll pick up some tools along the way that'll help us get other biblical passages right. Yeah, and something we want to point out is if we go through these verses and you realize, oh, wow, I, I have been getting this verse wrong. It's not something to beat yourself up over. It's not something to question whether or not you're a follower of Jesus or if you are a heretic. I mean, you're like most those... likely not a heretic, but <laughs> jury is out. Yeah. I once had a Greek professor who said, don't worry, a good systematic theology will save you from a bad interpretation of any one text. So most of us have an understanding of what truth is, generally speaking, from a lot of other Bible passages. And so when we come to a Bible passage and we get it wrong, we usually end up with something that is generally right. It just didn't come from that passage. So what we want to do is learn better how to get what's from that passage so that when we read Scripture, it isn't just reaffirming what we already know, but it's actually opening us up to brand new things. Uh, Well, not brand new things, things that are brand new to us as we seek to understand God's Word. Okay, so with all those disclaimers in mind, what is our first verse that a lot of people tend to get wrong? Yes, so this is one that I'm excited we're starting with because it's one that I certainly grew up getting wrong. Me too. And um, it becomes a phrase that people say in prayers, and I don't think they actually realize it's not accurate to the Scripture that they're referencing in their prayers. So... And it's so ubiquitous that I, don't, I tend not even to correct people ever. Right. I just let it fly because it's so common. And what they're saying is it false. But And so instead of us continuing to talk about this verse, let me actually share what verse we're referencing. And that is Matthew 18, verse 20. says, For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. And so this is a really common verse that I've heard quoted during prayer says like where lord you know that there's two or three of us gathered here and that you are with us in your name and as if if there's less than that then like jesus isn't there and i think that's one of the big issues with the interpretation of this verse that the bible is not giving you a quota of how many people need to be in a group in order for the Holy Spirit to be present. If it's just you by yourself, he says, not worth my time. I got other <laughs> things to do. I ain't showing up. And obviously no one actually believes that. But No, but it, it is just an interesting misunderstanding of this verse where we we like the idea of people coming together and now Jesus is here with us. But the reality is Jesus is here even though it's just you by yourself. Yeah, and it is true that that Jesus moves among us in special ways when we are together. But that's not what this verse is actually saying. And what you'll hear us say a lot in this episode is the word context. 
And so what's missing from this interpretation is you're taking one sentence from a whole paragraph of what Jesus was talking about. And so the textual context is missing in that. And so this verse comes at the end of a discourse that Jesus was giving about sin and discipline in the church. Yeah, and so just to give you the fuller context of where this verse is placed, I'm going to read five verses, so bear with me as I read through a few of them. But I think it's important for us to really see what is it that Jesus is talking about and and how does this verse line up with the actual context it's sitting in. And so Matthew 18 verses 15 to 20 is the verses that I'm going to read right now. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And so... That's not as exactly you, the feel-good passage you, you might have been expecting, right? No, not at all. And it's not referencing prayer or the presence of the Holy Spirit being... When you go to lunch with your friends from church or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, so it's not exactly referencing social gatherings or a, even a gathering of a community of believers. Yeah, even a worship gathering. Right. What it's specifically talking about is discipline in the church. And you'll actually see throughout these verses, it references two or three, two or three, two or three. And so that's a very common number among these verses because what it's saying is church discipline is hard and it's scary and it's something uncomfortable that none of us really ever want to deal with. But it is something that we see in scripture where it says, first, go to your brother by himself. If he doesn't listen, bring two or three witnesses. And so there's the first appearance of the two or three. And then it says, if they don't listen, then like bring it to the larger church. And so it's it's giving you these levels of church discipline. But in the end, it's saying, I know this is hard. This is uncomfortable. But this is something that Jesus is calling the church to. There does need to be some type of discipline within the church. But don't worry, wherever there's a group of you who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are led by the Holy Spirit, who are in agreement with one another, Jesus is with you. And you can get through this process of church discipline. As you gather together, two or more, Jesus is in the presence of that process of church discipline. Yeah, and the other piece of that is that he's actually imbuing authority to the church to exercise discipline. If it's a one-on-one, cool, we don't have to go any further. But when you bring those two or three in, then they're kind of marching down this procedure of discipline. And he says, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So he's saying you, as this group, have spiritual authority to exercise discipline. 
not by yourself, but in this group, wherever two, two or three are gathered there, I am with them to help you make the right decision and then to uphold the authority that I have given to you in that decision. So that's really what that verse is about. Yeah, and that's actually really nice to see a group of people, right? So it's not even saying you have one person who is calling out the other one who sinned and now they have this utter and complete authority over that person. It's really pushing forward, coming into this group and there being authority there if it cannot be resolved on this one-on-one level. But the authority comes in when it's a group of people. Yeah, so there is a lot of comfort there. You just got to dig a little deeper in to find it and where you're finding the comfort is in the midst of a really uncomfortable situation. Yeah, and so again, as we're going to go through multiple verses here, um, it is not to say that your understanding of this verse pre this podcast was wrong in its entirety of understanding God and understanding Jesus and understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. Certainly, the Holy Spirit is present when groups of believers are gathered together, but the Holy Spirit is is present when you as an individual are praying too. And so correct truth of scripture, but just not coming from this actual verse. Right. The next verse we want to go to is also quoted a lot. And it's usually quoted to people who are in the midst of some kind of hardship and they could use some encouragement. And the verse goes like this, God will never give you more than you can handle. What's the the reference for that one? What, what book does that come out of? It's actually not in the Bible. What? I know. You you will never see that in Scripture. It comes from, like the theme of it sort of comes from 1 Corinthians 13, but word for word, God will never give you more than you can handle is not a verse in the Bible. It's an almost quote right. of a verse in the Bible. Not quite. And the actual verse is 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, which says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. So God will give you more than you can handle. If you read the Bible, pretty much every story (laughs) is God giving someone more than they can handle. (laughs) Right, because it's not about what you can handle. Right. If God could only give me what I could handle... He wouldn't give me very much. Like maybe he would give me breathing every day. I'm pretty feeble. I can't handle very much. Yeah, you're not even breathing. You can't even do that without him. Too much work. (laughs) So God will give you more than you can handle, but usually when God gives you more than you can handle, not usually, always when God gives you more than you can handle, he's going to pull you through that. But what this verse is talking about specifically is um, with regard to temptation, And earlier in this passage, Paul refers to the Israelites in the desert. Right after they were brought out of slavery, they're worshiping this golden calf that Aaron had fashioned in the desert. And he's using that as an example to say, hey, once you've come to know Jesus, don't go back just because it was more familiar. Don't go back into the sin and the idolatry that you came out of. And he said, but to be sure, none of this is uncommon to you. You, you know, your experience. You're not the only one who's ever felt this. But know this, that in every situation where you find yourself tempted to go back to your old ways, to go back to what was comfortable, but wasn't godly, because you have the Holy Spirit, in any given temptation, 
there's always a way out. There's always a way out to do the right thing. There's always a way out to do what is faithful and good, and God will always provide a way of escape. And that doesn't mean that you're always going to get it right. Like We'll never be perfect. We'll never get it right every time. But just know that in the moment of temptation, in that moment, you have the power to not fall into that temptation. And that's not always easy. It's it's not as if that opportunity of escape is the most easiest choice for you to make. Oftentimes. No, I think the, it, the example of like the of Joseph in the Old Testament when Potiphar's wife was like, come have sex with me. And he he ran away and she like grabbed his cloak and he ran away naked. So the way of escape isn't always comfortable, but it's there. Right. Like God will always create that opportunity in any situation you're in that is causing you to be tempted to sin. There is always that opportunity for you to not sin. And that is because of the power that you have in Jesus to have that opportunity out. But again, it doesn't mean that's easy and it doesn't mean we're always going to get it right. Um, But that is really what this verse is talking about overall. Which again is another comfort that we have. And I would say the comfort that comes from actually understanding this verse is greater than the comfort of our misunderstanding. Because when someone says, God will never give you more than you can handle, in your mind, like, you know that's not true. In your heart, you know that's not true because they're probably saying it to you in the midst of a situation that you can't handle. And I can certainly relate to someone quoting the not really verse of God will never give you anything more than you can handle. And in that moment in my life, I was actually not comforted by that because my mom had passed away and I was 15 years old and someone telling me, don't worry, God won't give you anything you can't handle. In my mind, I can't handle this. Like I absolutely cannot endure this. And so the true understanding of this verse is far more comforting than the false misquote that we often hear. Right. Yeah, so with our first passage, it was missing context. With our second verse here, it was just missing the verse. Yeah, misquote. Yeah. In our third verse that we'll look at, it'll actually be the context that's missing is cultural context. And so we've touched on this verse before in... uh, episode 11 of this podcast. So we won't spend a ton of time on it here, but it's worth bringing up this verse in the book of Luke. Yeah. So in Luke ten forty one, it says, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So again, we touched on this a little bit deeper in episode 11, but Commonly, the way that people understand this verse is that Jesus doesn't want us to do the way that Martha was. He wants us to be right, the way the, that Mary was. Right, and the context was Jesus was at uh, Mary and Martha's house. Martha was cooking and cleaning and doing all these things to host all the people. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. And so Martha's like, hey, get up and help me be a host. And Jesus then said this first, Martha, Martha, you're worried about many things, but only one thing is needful. Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken from her. And so we've often heard it said, like, you know, 
you're a human being and not a human doing. Like Jesus doesn't want you to do. He wants you to just be in his presence. Is that your hippie Christian voice? I'm not sure what it was, but I feel really relaxed now. Okay. Well, that is not what this verse is talking about. But it's, it's really drawing on something far deeper than whether or not we should do or be. It's actually diving into the historical context that is what people often miss. Is for a woman during this time, you would not sit at the feet of a rabbi. You would not be able to sit there and listen to their teachings. You would be the one who is hosting and preparing and taking care of all the things. And so really, Jesus in this time is being incredibly countercultural to what's going on around him. Hello, this is Dr. Doug Grotheis, host of Truth Tribe, where we seek the truth through reason and evidence about what matters most. And we are not tribal since truth is for everyone. Please join me at the Truth Tribe as I discuss the reasons for Christian faith, the Christian worldview, and moral issues such as abortion and gender ideology. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search Truth Tribe on your favorite podcast app. He is saying, even you can sit here in the same way that the rest of the disciples and the rest of the men are sitting at the feet of the rabbi and listening and gleaning from the teaching. Even as a woman, you are able to do that as well. Right. He was breaking the patriarchal paradigm that was there and said, yes, even women can be disciples the same way that men are. And so that's an important cultural historical piece of context that if you miss that, you miss the whole point. Because yes, it is true that Jesus wants you to learn to be still, to be in his presence, but he also wants you to do. The New Testament is very action-oriented in the commands that it gives. And so what Jesus was doing here was you know, a far bigger conversation than that doing-being dichotomy that for Jesus wasn't even a dichotomy. Right. Jesus is saying men and women are welcome into my kingdom. Men and women are equal in my kingdom. Men and women are going to benefit from what it is that Jesus offers. And that, in our time right now, like we we kind of get it, but this was just unheard of in the time of Jesus. And so again, I think this is far deeper and richer and life-giving interpretation of this verse rather than what we, we often hear it to be. Yeah, and it's always so satisfying when you land on an interpretation. You're like, oh, that makes so much more sense, too, with the whole uh, context and with everything else I know from Scripture. And so this is definitely one of those verses that it, it feels that way. For this next verse, this is another very often quoted verse, and we might get some letters about this one. I don't know if we're going to get any letters. I don't think we've ever received a letter. If you'd like to write us a letter, we'd love to read it. Yeah. If you're listening to this, we don't care if it's critical. No. All press is good press, you know? Right. Dale will read it. So in Second Chronicles... I'll write a blog post in response. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the other verse that we want to talk about is, like Dale said, it's very commonly quoted, and it's very commonly quoted in reference to America, so that's why... He's saying we might get some letters, but let me share the verse. It's second Chronicles two fourteen. 
If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So this is not about America. Contrary to popular quotation of this, because this verse is often quoted by someone who's saying, you know, if we just put prayer back in our schools, if we just put the Ten Commandments up on our courthouses, then America would be prosperous and we wouldn't be facing any of the issues that we're facing as a country. This verse is is often quoted on Independence Day and you know, even like the language of this verse is often quoted, even if, if the verse itself isn't actually cited. It was even used recently by Franklin Graham and others who recently did a national prayer march in Washington. And so we're all about prayer. We're all about praying for our nation. That's something we should be doing. I think there are other verses that would lead us to that conclusion that that's something we should be doing. But this verse probably isn't one of them. And the reason for that isn't so much that Uh, the other things that we've talked about, but the key that we're missing on this one is that we're misunderstanding who the audience of this verse is. Because there's two audiences, really, in any passage. There's the audience that this verse was originally given to, and then there's us. But we have to understand what it said before we can understand what it's saying. Because it can never say anything that it never said. To put it another way, if you're a follower of Jesus, everything that was written in the Bible, it was written for you. But none of it was actually written to you. So we have to understand the original context, the original audience, how they would have received it, and then from there apply and see what it's saying to us today. And when you say it wasn't written to you, what you're really talking about is In this particular verse, um, and really this particular book in the Bible, the original audience was the nation of Israel. That's who this was written to. And so certainly we can understand this book and even this verse as written for us. And there are definitely biblical principles that we can pull from here and, and wisdom that we can seek. But this was not written to Dale and Tamara. It was not written to Americans in 2020. It was written to the nation of Israel. And even more specifically, it was written at the dedication of the temple. And so God had this covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. And within that covenant relationship, there were aspects of it that were certainly unconditional unconditional in God would carry out his end of the covenant regardless of what the nation of Israel did. But there were other aspects of this covenant that were conditional. And so a lot of the times as you study the Old Testament, you really see the themes of the curses and the blessings. And if the nation of Israel acted in a certain way, they would be cursed because they were disobedient to the Lord. And then if they were obedient to the Lord, they would see blessings on the entire nation of Israel. And so that was all part of this covenant that God had established with them. In particular, we read a lot about that in the Old Testament, but we don't see that same establishment of the covenant in the New Testament. Because when Jesus came, that really did change the relationship that 
humanity itself had with God. And so we see a lot of the relationship aspect of humanity carried out through Israel in the Old Testament, but then the New Testament really opens it up to show us what is this overall relationship with God and all of humanity after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So we have to remember to keep those relationships in the context that they were shown to us in. Yeah, so it's a whole different thing. Whereas in this verse at the dedication of the temple, what God was saying through Solomon is basically that if you, Israel, continue to worship the God of Israel alone, then you will prosper in the land. If you don't and you go after idols and you turn away from him, then I'm going to send pestilence and famine to the land. But, and then this verse says, if you turn back to me and turn away from your wicked ways, then I will heal the land again. And so there's this kind of contractual relationship there. When it comes to Jesus, we no longer have that contractual relationship with him where, yeah, you're saved, but I'm going to give and take away based on the good or bad things that you do. That's not fundamentally how our relationship with him works anymore. I mean, it's true that if you follow Jesus and you do the things that Jesus has commanded you through scripture, then your life is probably going to be more blessed. It's probably going to be more joyous. You're probably going to enjoy better relationships with him and with others. But that's just cause and effect. That's not a blessing and a curse. And really the, the, the main distinction there is that we don't have a prophetic word that is mediating that, that kind of contractual relationship. Whereas in this situation, God is talking to Israel. And he's saying, if you do this, then I will do that. And if you do that, I will do this. We, we don't have that kind of a relationship with God right now. Uh, we have these words that were written that are illuminated by the Holy Spirit that are going to lead us into a deeper relationship with him. But we don't have this kind of contractual, if you do this, I will do that kind of thing. The only, if you do this, I will do that, is if you turn to me in faith, I will save you and you will be redeemed. Yeah, and so there's certainly a modern day application to this verse that we can take and understand. And that is that when we turn away from sin and we turn toward God, he does bring about healing in our lives. And he does bring about healing in our relationship and healing in our communities and transformation in our nations. But it's not this direct, because you were obedient, here are the blessings I'm pouring out to you. In the way that we we see it very clearly written in the Old Testament. Right. So it's just, it's not like, so because you saw that person's wallet on the ground and you gave it to them, now that's why you got that job you interviewed for. Or if you didn't give that person's wallet back to them, that's why you didn't get the job that you interviewed for. We can get real weird when we get into those kinds of interpretations of things, which this general misunderstanding of this verse leads us into. That's not the way our relationship with God works. But generally speaking, if you're following after Jesus, your life is going to be better, but that's cause and effect. That's more of a wisdom principle. And that kind of leads us into the the last verse that we want to look at that's often misunderstood. And this last verse, I think, is an, it's important to talk about, especially for parents, because you often hear this 
verse quoted to parents and it can actually become very discouraging if you don't see this verse playing out in your life. And so that verse is Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So often times you hear, as long as you train up your child in the ways of God, he will not depart from God. And that's a and promise. That's, right. <laughs> and people hold to this as a promise. And then you have so many parents out there who did train up their children after the ways of the Lord yeah, and, and their the, children have turned away in the best way that they could and the best way that they knew how they trained up their child in the ways of the Lord. But then when their child grew up, they departed from it. They turned away. They got into problems with the law or with substance abuse or just plain not following Jesus. And so I, I've seen so many parents just struggle over this. And obviously it's a true and genuine struggle when your child is not following after God. But really with this interpretation that this is an iron, ironclad promise that God has made, it kind of leads you into one of two things. One is you're going to beat yourself up and think like, oh, if I just raised my kid right, it wouldn't have turned out this way. Because that's what the Bible says, right? If I did this, then he would have done that. But he didn't do that, which means I didn't do this. Or you hold on to this promise and believe that if God is really real and he really does fulfill his word, then your kid is definitely going to turn back. And when like years pass and your kid doesn't turn back, it wrecks your faith and it makes you think maybe, maybe God doesn't keep his promises. And as sad as that can be, both of these reactions spring from a misunderstanding of the text, whether you read it and misunderstood it or someone preached it to you and you misunderstood it. And the issue here is the context of genre. Because the genre in the Proverbs is proverbial wisdom, which is different from an ironclad promise. Right. So proverbial wisdom is referencing this is commonly the way that the world works. This is commonly the way that things go. And so usually... If you raise up your child in a certain way, that is the way that they go. And so if you raise them up in the ways of the Lord, it is very common. It's very normal. It's most likely that they will follow in the ways of the Lord. But that is not a promise from God. And that's, I think that's one of the, the biggest distinguishing markers of the Proverbs versus other books or genres in the Bible. Yeah, and we deal in proverbial wisdom all the time. Like, it's common wisdom. If you save for retirement, what you're expecting is that when you're old, you're not going to be penniless and broke. Generally speaking, that's true, but things can happen. You're going to have unexpected medical expenses. You could have, you know, the stock market crashes, and that's where all your retirement was. Things can happen where it didn't go the way you planned, but generally speaking, proverbial wisdom says if you plan for retirement, you won't end up penniless when you're old. And another one would be like, if you study for the test, you'll probably get a good grade. Now, sometimes you blank on stuff that you thought you knew or the test focused on different aspects from what you studied, or sometimes it's just, a, it's just not a very well-written test, and so you bomb it even though you studied. But generally speaking you are going to do better on a test if you were studying for it. And so when it doesn't come to pass, it's not that because it was in the Bible and it didn't come true, God is a liar. It's understanding the genre. 
What he's saying is, you know, the right thing to do is the smart thing to do. And the smart thing to do is the right thing to do. That's basically what this is saying. That's what Hebrew wisdom literature is. It's ruthlessly practical, I heard one professor say once. And so that, that's the context that we're in. And so that same logic applies to this verse. So if Tamar and I raise up our son Silas in the ways of Jesus, we raise him to love Jesus, we raise him to love the church, we raise him to serve, we raise him to give generously, odds are he's, that's probably going to stay with him through his life. And if we don't, then it won't, most likely. Now, anything can happen. But as parents, the, the right thing for us to do and the smart thing for us to do is if we want to see our son succeed is to raise him up in the ways of the Lord. And in many ways, this takes the pressure off when we understand this as a proverbial wisdom rather than a promise that's coming from God. And that's really true of, of all of what we read in Proverbs because you'll probably deal with this same misunderstanding in the book of Proverbs in general. But as you're reading through them and you're like, wow, this is not happening in my life. I did X, Y, and Z, and something completely different happened. And that doesn't mean that you did something wrong and you disobeyed scripture or that God's not following his end of the promise. It simply means that it was a proverb and it's proverbial wisdom. So it's likely this will be the outcome, but it's not the guaranteed outcome. Right. And so genre is another key aspect. And so we hope as we've looked at these five verses that it's been helpful to you to understand what kind of context we're looking for. And when we say, you know, it's all about context, what does that actually look like? Because there's different kinds of context. There's the original audience. There's the context within the, the chapter or within the book itself. There's the historical context and the cultural context. And there's the genre. And there's a any number of other factors that you need to look into in order to more fully understand what a verse is actually saying. Uh, and so it's helpful to have some resources. So you might want to get, I think we've mentioned this before, uh, Hallie's Handbook is a good resource for you. It's got little chapter summaries and things like that. You get a good study Bible. I know the ESV study Bible is a really good resource. And then you can actually get commentaries on individual books of the Bible. So let's say you want to sit down and you know study Galatians. There's all kinds of commentaries where someone has spent you know all kinds of work writing about that one book. And you can go verse by verse and just get a whole bunch of context. So there's a lot of good resources out there. And so all the stuff that we told you today isn't stuff that we figured out on our own. It was something that was told to us. It was taught to us. We read it. We saw it in a lecture. And so that's going to be the way that you're going to be able to understand this as well. Yeah, and we would actually love to be a resource for you. So if you have questions on particular verses, we definitely don't guarantee that we know it off the top of our head. And it's actually very likely that we don't. But we would love to be able to point you to some good resources or even help you kind of dig through that verse a bit and share what our understanding of it is. Um, so certainly if we could be a resource to you, we would we would love to do that as well. Um, and the, and really, the whole goal of this podcast was not to call out any misunderstandings or misinterpretations of Scripture for the sake of calling them out, but really to help, hopefully, you grow deeper into your understanding of Scripture in the same way that we did. 
because really this has been a journey that we've been on for years now and a little bit more in depth when we were in school. But it's something that's been quite illuminating to me as a believer and even in just my regular readings of scripture and understanding of scriptures. I think it's it's helpful to know what resources you can go to and even just where to begin like, oh, audience context is important. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so we would love for you to connect with us as you're reading something and you say, what the heck is going on here? Yeah, you, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can shoot us a DM. You can go to our contact page at hernhim.com. And we would just love to hear from you. It is typically the highlight of our day or our week when we hear from someone and they're just like really searching and they have a really good question and it causes us to go, huh, I don't know, or I need to look that up. Uh, you know, that that's something that we are really passionate about doing. And so we would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. We'd also love it if you head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review. And be sure to come visit us at herandhim.com where you'll find show notes for this episode, our blog, and other resources to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised us. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. I'm Monica Schmelter, and on the Bridges Podcast, we offer you hope for the journey. Whether you are in a season of waiting, navigating a busy career and family, or working through disappointment, the Bridges Podcast provides truth and grace for everyday life. The podcast is Bridges with Monica Schmelter, and you can listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com. Do you want to better understand the Bible and get biblical answers to those who ask you about your faith? Hi, this is Perseus Poku, host of the Sound Reasoning Podcast Show. Listen to us weekly as we bring the truth often found in the ivory towers of seminary down to the steeple towers of the local church. Join me along with many of the nation's top theologians as we offer answers to life tough questions from an apologetic perspective. Subscribe to the show at lifeaudio.com.